The reading of God's word, Acts 18, 1 to 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles.'" Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul in Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. This is the word of the Lord. Last week, uh, I came to the office, and Daniel Markin, our pastoral intern who preached a few weeks ago uh, here, and uh, he had his headphone on. And the, the policy uh, in the office that we have is that if you have headphone on, you're not supposed to bother anyone. But this was Daniel taking his headphone off, and just like as he's talking, his hand was in the air like, hey, Ron, what's up? Good, Daniel, how's it going? Good, what's up? Hey, I got engaged last week, man. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations, Daniel, right? Because he's just looking for this opportunity to whoever's walking through those doors to engage with them and share this exciting news. Now, those of you who've been recently got engaged, you, you know what I'm talking about, especially the ladies. You know, you, you, you at a dinner table, you have hand like this and you look for every single <laughs> opportunity, right? Hey, just got engaged, you know, see? So you, you look for opportunities to talk about that. It's exciting. You want to tell people, Right? Or today is the two years anniversary of, uh, for my wife and I adopting our two girls that we adopted two years ago. And I remember like on September 1st when we brought them home, but prior to that when we were going through the process, uh, it, it was one of those excitement that were basically the first time and we were shown the pictures, it was just incredible. And I remember like texting our family and friends and calling them, hey, these are the pictures, these, this is how the kids look like, this is what they talk, all this stuff. And remembering um, a few weeks later when we first went to see them, the joy, we just couldn't uh, keep it to ourselves. 
We're just calling our family and friends again and just telling them like how exciting this is and all that stuff. And it was just like incredible. You, you have those stories too. That, that you look for opportunities to share with others. But have we thought about this though? That if the gospel is the good news and true, why are we hesitant to share it? If the gospel is the good news and true, why are we hesitant to share it? Is it fear? Afraid of rejection? Or is it that I'm not sure even if I believe this? Yes, I come to church, but I, I, I struggle with this. I'm not sure. See, the text that was read to us this morning, we'll learn four things from this. Number one, opportunities for the gospels are many. Opposition is great. But our God is powerful and our mission is unstoppable. Opportunities for the gospel are many. Opposition is great. But our God is powerful and our mission is unstoppable. So stay with me uh, in Acts 18 verses 7 to, uh, uh, 1 to 17. I love this text because this is one of those things uh, when, when you read about Paul. Because this is a man who at one point wanted to kill Christianity. Is now preaching the Christian gospel. And this is part of his life. So, so you see, like, when this word after this in Acts 18, uh, we read that, it connects you with Acts 17. Because in Acts 17, when he was in Athens preaching and persuading and reasoning with the Jews and the Greeks there, trying to share the gospel with them, it says that he, he, he left Athens, right? He did not leave. He was kicked out. So he left Athens and he, he moved to Corinth. Now, Corinth was 85 kilometers west of Athens, which was natural stuff for Paul. And it is said that Corinth was a diverse city. But it was not also a diverse city. It was also the center for the worship of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, and had many temples with thousands of sacred prostitutes. In other words, the city was sexually immoral. And when you think about that and you look in our culture, you look around and you're like, our current culture is actually not far from this. So when Paul received a report from Corinthian church, he was already discouraged because he, was, uh, uh, he endured pain and he's kicked out. And then the Corinthian church add more to his misery. In fact, when he reports, uh, uh, it writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, I came to you, in weakness with great fear and trembling. So despite all the pain Paul has endured to his call, he was faithful to preach the gospel. And we see that in, in a text that in verse 2, he meets this Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla. In verse 3, he meets them and he finds out that they are tent maker because Paul is a tent maker, so he connects with them. And, and we read that he gets a job. And now, while he's working, Paul is sharing the gospel uh, with the people he's working with. So, so that workplace and the city where he's working, that becomes Paul's mission field. Now, some of us may be thinking, I really feel God's call in my life to preach, to evangelize, or to be a missionary. But I, I think I have to quit my job in order to do that. But when you read this, that, that's not the case here. 
Because Paul, instead, he finds a job and he uses the opportunity to share the gospel with his co-workers. And he does more public ministry after his working hours. So let me ask you this, though. Have you thought about this? The place where you work, that God might have deployed you there to be a missionary. To go there and talk to the people who work with you, they're the people who have the same questions as you and I have. They have the same struggles as you and I have. And yet the gospel conversations are rare. But when you read here, Paul, on the other hand, he goes and shares the gospel. So, so imagine now, like, I mean, you're going back uh, to, to work uh, either tomorrow or on Tuesday. So, you know, you'll be asked this question, hey, what did you do this weekend or how was the weekend? So now if you're grade six, like when my grade six daughter comes home from, uh, she's in grade seven now, so when she would come home from school, hey, how, how was school? Good. What did you do? Stuff. <laughs> right? You, you, you know that? Well, no, tell me more than that. And I'm assuming you won't say that when you go back to work and tell you, your coworker asks you, hey, what did you do? Stuff? No, I actually did something else. Well, what did you do? I went to church. Now, often I think we avoid saying that because, because the rejection that may come with that. So you avoid that kind of like response. I'm not sure if, if this is the right place or right, uh, right time to tell my friend that I actually go to church because he may or she may think like, oh, I'm one of those. Or if someone invites you, hey, are you free this uh, Wednesday or Thursday to meet up for coffee? And you'd be like, well, actually I'm busy. Instead of saying, well, no, I have to go to this Bible study or this prayer meeting, whatever the situation is. Because imagine you trying that, what kind of conversation can happen? See, the point is, when you go back to work this next week, you will have the opportunities, and you know it. But the fear takes over. So moving on, verse 4, we see that Paul is working, and he's reasoning with people, he's trying to persuade people. So in, in every city, for Paul, in every city he went to, he looked for opportunities from which he could launch his ministry. In verse 5, we read that he devoted himself to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, notice here the word testifying. Ajit Fernando, one of the commentators on the book of Acts, right? The word testifying appears 15 times in the New Testament, nine times alone in the book of Acts. And he writes, the word is usually used to, uh, to warn someone or to testify. Therefore, it is translated as to make serious declaration on the basis of personal knowledge. So you know this knowledge, you know this gospel is personal to you, therefore you're declaring it, you're making it known. And further he writes that he, he said, it reminds us that while evangelism is a joyous privilege, it is also an awesome responsibility. While we are responsible to share the message faithfully, we are not responsible for the response of our audience. We are responsible to share the gospel, but we were not responsible for their response. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. Ezekiel 3, 17 to 19 says this, Son of man, 
I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. And die will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin. But you will have saved yourself. And that is why when, when the Jews oppose Paul because he's persuading and he's reasoning with them and trying to share this gospel with them, he tells them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. Because my job is to simply tell you I'm not responsible for your response here. So can, can I remind us of this, though? That you and I will be held accountable on the final day. When we face our master face to face, you, we'll be asked, hey, I have, I have entrusted you with this gospel message. What did you do with that? See, the point is the opportunities for the gospel are many. But now just because opportunities are many doesn't mean that it would be easy. You will face opposition. So opportunities are many. Opposition is great. So in our text today, we read that just when Paul is testifying and trying to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, right then Jews became hostile towards him. In fact, we read, if you read in verse 17 in Acts 18, you will see that he was beaten up because of that. But this is nothing new for Paul. He's used to that because wherever he went, he preached the gospel, he reasoned with people, he shared the gospel, and he faced opposition. In fact, in Acts 13, just a few chapters before Acts 18, we read in Acts 18, verse 44 and 45, it says, on the Sabbath, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. See, opposition is part of being a Christian, whether you like it or not. Opposition is being a part of being a Christian. So just a couple of years ago in, in Alberta, there was a Christian school that was told that they cannot teach the Bible verses that talk about sexuality. Another school in Winnipeg uh, was told the same thing. Hey, you cannot talk about the Bible verses that talks about sexuality because they're offensive. See, that, that's the culture we live in. Because the Bible is offensive. The gospel is offensive. Or some, some of you have family members who are not Christian, and you, and you know when you gather together and uh, have dinner together, and you, you want to talk to them about this gospel message, they, they may shun you. How dare you to tell me? How dare you to talk to me about who I am and what I believe? Familiar words, right, to some? Therefore, we keep our mouths shut and we forget, like, no, I don't need to tell this because the rejection and the awkwardness that we face. But this is nothing new. Jesus told us in John 15, verse 8, he said, if the world hates you, remember this, it hated me first. So we're not alone in this. It's part of who we are, part of what we believe. 
one of my friends from our church, he was telling me that his parents who were not Christian, and every time they would get together, he would, he would find a way to share the gospel with them. And he, he said he, every time he would talk about that, the parents were so opposed to it that they would never want to talk about the gospel. So he said after years of praying and pleading before the Lord and being um, consistent in sharing the gospel with them, he said one day, uh, my dad, he was at the hospital bed. He, so I went to visit him and I said, like, hey, dad, can we talk about this? And he said, my dad was finally open to hearing me talk about this gospel. And just before he died, a few days before, he accepted Jesus into his heart. And then he said, a few weeks later, when we had the funeral, so all the siblings and I were all talking about things about, about my dad. And uh, when it was my turn, I went up there. Um, and he said, I started talking about all the things. But I also said, hey, I'm rejoicing this morning uh, uh, because my dad is with Jesus. Because just a few days before he passed away, he accepted Christ. And he said, like, the stare and the anger he saw on his mother's face and the siblings, he was like, it was crazy. He said after the gathering, after the funeral, they, 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 they were gathered, and he said it was awkward. And mom was so angry because she's like, how dare you to talk, talk about your dad uh, at his funeral? So now imagine after that, when there was other family gathering, he's sitting there. It's always awkward because mom never forgave him. She was so angry. He said that even she was so angry that she never uh, forgave him, and she died. And she was so opposed to the gospel. See, that, that, that's the kind of opposition we face. But this is nothing new. J just think about it. There are a lot of people who came to kill Christianity, just like Paul, ended up being saved by the gospel and now preaching the gospel. See, we live in a, in a culture that is very pluralistic. In other words, that, that you can accept any other faith or religion, but when it comes to Christianity, it's a big no-no. We were not allowed to talk about that, therefore practicing and sharing the faith has become a lot harder. But remember this, all these people that came, the opposition came and died, and gospel remains. The whole point of Acts 18 is the opposition is expected. It will never be easy for us to share the gospel, but that does not mean that we cannot share because our God is powerful. So opportunities are many, opposition is great, but our God is powerful. You see, when you read it, Paul is mocked, abused, and kicked out. The guy is discouraged, and right then, God of the universe shows up. Starting in verse 9, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. That's with the V, by the way, not with the W, just so you know, okay? It says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. See, in the midst of all this opposition, Paul is discouraged because everything that has happened, and as he's sharing the gospel, God of the universe shows up and tells him, hey, do not be afraid because I'm with you. And if you read verse 7, because 
just because he's in the synagogue preaching, it says Paul is kicked out from the synagogue and he goes to the next house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, which probably became the first house church. And there Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire house, household believed in the Lord. So the guy, he's kicked out from the synagogue because he's preaching this gospel. The leader of the synagogue, he's listening very carefully what Paul is speaking. Holy Spirit is working in his life. And says he's kicked out. And guess what? This guy ends up following him and not him, but his entire household. He goes here more from Paul. He ends up believing in the, in the Lord. The power of God at display right there. So when God tells him in verse 9, do not be afraid, I am with you, this is what he experienced right here. For him, an Iranian uh, guy, a uh, Muslim man in Pakistan, and uh, he, he, uh, he went to this uh, missionary in the training center in Pakistan where uh, I worked with this missionary for four years, and uh, he would go there, and he was paid by the police to investigate uh, and spy on uh, Nigel and his work, what he's trying to do. <clears throat> and he would come into the Bible study and all the, uh, the events that Nigel would do in the ministry house, and he would just simply sit and ask some of the craziest questions that you can think of in, in order to get some dirt on Nigel and record it and report back to the police so that he can be kicked out uh, from the country and the gospel proclamation can be stopped. In fact... One day he said that he pretended uh, to be a Christian. He said, like, hey, I, I just became a Christian. I would love to basically um, uh, know and grow in my faith. So would you let me be part of this uh, one-year discipleship program that you have? I would love to stay here and learn more about, more about the Bible and the Christian faith. And he said he's, uh, he uh, took him in, and once he was in, he would basically say all sort of mean things. He would throw things. Uh, and, and drive everyone crazy just because Nigel, Nigel was uh, doing this Christian work out there. And he, so he said, basically, I kept on loving him. I kept speaking the gospel. That one day in the morning, uh, he went, Nigel said, I went to, to get some breakfast from the kitchen, and Fahim is uh, on the floor in the kitchen crying. And he's like, Nigel, I'm so sorry for all the pain I've caused you and everyone else in this training center. I pretended to be a Christian, but I was not. But actually, no, I have surrendered myself to Christ. Would you forgive me? He came as a spy to stop the gospel instead of being changed by the gospel. The power of God right there. Do you, do you believe this gospel? Do you believe, believe the power of God? Do you believe that he's with you? See, th this is not normal. We all experience that. You, you, you may have some days where, where you feel completely lost and, and you completely empty and there's no joy. I had those uh, days just recently and I remember like coming to, to work that there was no joy I wanted to come here, but there was no joy. Why am I even doing this? Alone, empty, all that stuff. Discouraged from the ministry, life in general. And I remember coming here 
One day asking some of my friends, hey, can you guys pray for me because I, I, I don't have this joy. They prayed. Nothing happened. Later that afternoon, I went back to my desk and I was reminded of Isaiah 41, verse 10. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, this is the word of the Lord to you and I. I don't know what you're going through, but we all experience this. This is the power of God. This is a reminder from God. He is with us. He said that in Matthew, even Jesus said that, I will be with you forever to the ends of the earth. So take courage. Opportunities for the gospel are many. Opposition is great. But our God is powerful. And therefore, if our God is powerful, then our mission is unstoppable. Amen. Our mission is unstoppable because you, you, you will see just right here in verse 12 to 14, Paul is brought before the council to, to give his defense, and, and he's there to, to defend himself. And we read just, just as Paul was about to speak, God takes care of it. Jews wanted to shut him up and kill Christianity instead of backfires. Start with me, verse 14, just as Paul was... About to speak, Galio said to them, if you Jews are making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. They bring Paul to give his defense before the council Instead, they got kicked out. In other words, Galileo is like, no, Christians are fine. Leave them alone. Leave Paul alone. In other words, the gospel message is not bothering anyone, so keep preaching. Hashtag God with me moment. <laughs> right? So Paul is standing there. He's supposed to basically give his defense. Hey, this is me. Yes, let me tell you again. Because he's not shying away from that. But God's like, no, this time I'll take care of it, Paul. Don't worry. Verse 9, I am with you. So let me tie all this together. It's local missions weekend because gospel opportunities in our city are many. So, so let me address some of you here this morning. Teachers, if you are in the room, thank you for all you do, first of all. As you go back to school this Tuesday, you know the opposition that you will face, whether you're in Christian school, public school. Opposition to the gospel is evident. But can I encourage you, as you go back, keep loving on those students and the fellow teachers. Keep speaking the gospel because God is with you. Students, as you go back to school this next week, you know you have the opportunities. Adopt a student or a teacher, pray for them. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. By the way, did you know that every year in Canada, there are over 500,000 international students come? 500,000 students from all over the world. The nation says, come at our door. UFE alone, according to fall 2016, had 1,700 international students. 
They all come, and some of them go back without hearing the gospel. So if you're going back to school, university this next week, can I challenge you, what if you adopted a student for two semesters? Pray with them. Pray for them. Learn from them. Teach them about the culture, how things are done here. Learn about their culture. Learn who they are, what they believe. And most importantly, share the gospel with them. Because you do not want them to go without knowing the gospel. So we have the opportunity here. And the, to the rest of Northview, you, you, you know where you live. People on your right and left, they may not be Christian. But they have the same questions as you do. They're struggling with the same things as you do. At your workplace, they're all struggling with the same things. Are we bold enough to share the gospel? Do we remember that God is with me? It is not about me. It is about him. Let me tell you a quick story here. Two years ago, at a soccer camp, we do soccer camp uh, in a city here in partnership with Abbotsford Food Bank and North Free Church. And as we're doing, the, uh, doing our soccer camp, the first day, uh, the, this mom shows up with her three daughters. And um, she's like, hey, can, can I sign up my daughter? This is walk-in. Normally we don't, but I'm like, no, absolutely. We'd love to have your uh, daughter play with us. She's, uh, she was seven at the time. And... Um, it was interesting because as daughter is playing, mom and the other two girls are sitting there um, because mom didn't have a car. She's a single mom. She can go back and forth on the bus with the other two kids to come back and pick the other one. So rather, she decided, like, I'll stay here. So as she would stay there for the whole day, uh, we, we got to know who she is, got to know her story. My intern, Erin, uh, from last year, she, she got to, to know her a bit better. She connected with her. She invited her to, to church, some of the things we do here. And then my wife got connected, and we had uh, her over with the three girls uh, just a month ago. And I remember that, like, as we were sitting uh, after dinner, uh, our kids are playing, and they were sitting together in a living room, and she's like, Imran, can you tell me why these Christian people are so full of joy? Every time I talk to them, they're they're smiling and they're happy, because when I go to the temple, I, I don't see the same joy at their face. Can you tell me about what you read in the Bible, what, what, what this Bible is all about? Because I've seen some of these things in the movie, but I don't get it. So anyway, I ended up sharing the gospel with them, explaining, is she a Christian? No. Was the opportunity there? Yes. Did she hear the gospel? Yes. Because the conversion belongs to the Lord, not me. We planted the seed there. And then just a few weeks ago, uh, her daughter turned five, so she invited my wife uh, and our family uh, to a birthday party. She's like, hey, I would love to have you guys uh, come to my daughter's birthday party because she's turning five. And uh, so because her five years old and my five years old connected. Anyway, we go there, and there was one other uh, uh, f- a friend of hers, and there, there was my wife and uh, my family. And then there was my intern, Aaron, from last year, my intern from this year, Anita, who's going to be. So the three Northview people, and this is her family. These are her friends. She doesn't have any other friends. She's been in Canada for almost 10 years now. And I'm thinking, like, this is crazy because this is your family. 
At the end, she's like, hey, thank you so much for coming. I don't have the words to tell you how grateful I am for you guys being here and just celebrating with us. Now, you might be thinking, well, it's easy for you, Imran, because you're brown and you know the culture. <laughs> right? I, I know that's what you're thinking. <laughs> but, can, but can I tell you this, though? Your neighbor next to you, who might be brown, but they speak the language. Or your other neighbor, they may be like you. They may be white. Same culture, same language, everything is the same. Same struggle, same questions. Do, do, do you know them? Do I know them? Do we know them? Do we know what they believe, what, they, what their struggles are? Because opportunities for the gospel are many. As long as we are willing to go and get to know someone. Imagine if I ask you guys here, like, hey, walk across the room and talk to someone who you never talked to. You'd be like, ooh, this is awkward. Right? And rightly so, it may be. But just so you know, they're people too. You ask them a question, you may find out that they, you guys have a whole bunch of things in common. Therefore, you and I have the opportunity to share the gospel. Let me end with this. Apostle Paul in Acts 13, verse 47 says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for this good news, for this message that changed us, that's given us hope. Father, I, I don't know our, our struggles in this church. I don't know what's going on in our lives but you do know that. And you know other people in our community who, who do not know you. And yet we know the opportunities for the gospel are many. So Father, I ask that as we, as we heard your word, that we'll be convicted that your Holy Spirit will enable us to proclaim the good news, to give people hope. Father, would you do your work in and through us Thank you for what you've done, Jesus, on the cross because that's the greatest hope that we can have, that you came and died and rose again and now you are with us through your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.